Father, we thank you for, again, the privilege that we have to come together to sing your praises, to declare your excellencies, to uh, worship you. And we thank you for uh, your kindness and your love and your mercy and your grace that is manifest in Jesus, your Son. Lord, I thank you that you revealed your Son through your glorious gospel and that uh, we were born again through the living and abiding Word of God. And I thank you that your same word you use to grow us in respect to salvation. And I pray as we look into your word today that you'd prepare our hearts, that they would be receptive to your instruction, to your uh, correction, and to your reproof and correction, and your training, Lord God, that we would become more and more like your son Jesus. Bless your word greatly in your precious name. Amen. Well, the Lord Jesus himself declared that in this life we would have trouble. And often that trouble can come upon us and things become very difficult. Sometimes that trouble is because of our own sin. And God is a gracious God. If you're a believer, uh, he will discipline you. And that's for your good, that you would be trained and would uh, eventually experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But also the Lord Jesus made it clear through his word, uh, through his servant Paul, that uh, uh, we would go through difficulties. That uh, those who desire to live godly would be persecuted. That uh, in the reality we live in a sinful world. Sin People sin against us. Things happen. We live in a fallen world. There are trials and tribulations. And if uh, you were, uh, if we're honest at times, some of those tribulations can gang up on us and we can become discouraged. Whatever it might be, whether it's a physical trial or a, or a relational trial, whatever it could be, we are feeble human beings. And yet God is a gracious God and he gives us his word that we would have everything pertaining to life and godliness, so the true knowledge of him. We have his precious and magnificent promises, and it is within this we find out what we are to do when trouble comes. Now, I'd love to say that trouble's not going to come your way, and I pray it doesn't. Uh, but the Lord may allow that trouble to come, and what do we do? And maybe some of you today are going through some very difficult times, and you are in the midst of it. But what are we to do when trouble comes? Well, today we're going to see from Psalm 130 how to deal with the difficulties that life brings. Now, I mentioned earlier there's an outline out in front. If you don't have that, you can feel free to run and grab that. Um, That's just a guideline to take notes on. Um, And also I'll go through a lot of scriptures at times and feel free to note those down. Don't feel like you have to turn to every one, but sometimes I'll mention to turn there if I feel it's appropriate for us to look at that together. But we're looking at Psalm 130. And so turn your Bible to Psalm 130. Now the the word Psalms comes from the Greek word psalmoi, and it meant to pluch or twitch twitch a string. It speaks of a musical instrument, playing one. And the Hebrew word uh, translated psalm and song are both words for music. And what we have are the psalms are 
Israel's, are lyrics to Israel's hymns. They are inspired by God through those he chose to bring forth his word. And we have these songs, in a sense, that are inspired by God. They are a book of praises. And more often than not, in the Psalms, we have five books, 150 Psalms. More often than not, they are the inspired response of man to God based on God's word. That's really what the Psalms are like. Now you have the wisdom writings in those portions, which are the inspired response of man to man, in a sense, as God shares his word that direction, in a sense. But here, you'll find so often the Psalms is man reflecting on the truth of God back to God, in a sense. And it is inspired for us, for our benefit, that we would grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And, and, and again, God has given us everything we need for every situation in life. He's a faithful God, and he doesn't want us to go into difficulty without helping us to endure through it, to make it through for his glory uh, and for our good. So then we have the Psalms here, and now at this Psalm here, we have, uh, uh, there are superscripts. Uh, you'll see that in the Psalm. It says in ours, a song of a sense. Now that's actually part of the scripture. And that uh, means literally here, it spoke of the pilgrimage that the Jews did, probably post-exile, where they would ascend to Jerusalem to do those required feasts, the yearly feasts, the three annual feasts. And so with that, this psalm is, in a sense, labeled by God through the writer as one of these psalms that they would sing as they would go to Jerusalem, a psalm of ascents. Now, it's interesting, this psalm does, it doesn't sound like something you would sing on the way to worshiping the Lord, but uh, actually, if you're a human being and you're going through trouble, you go, yeah, it is something that I might sing to the Lord. And we're going to see that as with most of the psalms, it starts out based, and they're all based in reality, but based on the experience of something in real time, in a sense. And then out of that comes a reflection back and a trust in the Lord. We see people working through with the Lord the difficulties and coming out on the right side in their relationship with him. And so then let's read through it here. A song of a sense. Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So what do we do when difficulty comes? What do you do? Do you turn to complaining and grumbling? Do you turn to gossip? Do you turn to the bottle or, or Prozac or Xanax? What do you turn to when things are difficult? Well, we're going to see today from the psalmist that we as believers need to start with a humble cry to the Lord. And then we need to continue to wait upon him and his solution for our difficulties. And then we, if we allow him to take care of it, will then be proclaiming his excellencies when we come out on the other side. 
and see. We need to see these things. We need to see it from the Word of God so that we will be prepared and God will be glorified when we respond according to His Word. Notice, we need to start with a humble cry. We need to just pray. But we'll see here that the prayer is directed. It's directed. Uh, Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, O Lord, shouldest mark with iniquities, who, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. This is a prayer. This is a prayer of the psalmist. It's a prayer. And he starts in saying, out of the depths. It's a desperate cry. He's crying for help. Now, this is not the desperate cry of a non-believer in the, in a moment of great fear. You see here, in the actual, the, the Hebrew stems here, we see ultimately that it, he's been crying over and over again. Out of the depths, I have been crying to you. I've been crying, oh, to you, Lord. I've been crying out of the depths. What is he talking about when he says the depths? Well, I think we all understand what he means by that. The word literally speaks of basically deep waters. And it's used figuratively to speak of deep trouble. Hey, I'm in deep trouble. I'm in deep, deep trouble. Psalm 69, verse 1, For the choir director, according to Shoshonanim, a psalm of David, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and flood a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My, my throat is parched. My eyes fail me while I wait for God. I'm in deep trouble. I'm in deep waters, out of the depths. I have cried for thee. Speaks of deep emotional darkness and distress. And the reality is, as believers, we can be blindsided by all kinds of things. They come upon us. And the first thing we see the psalmist doing is crying out to the only one who is capable of helping. And often believers cry out to everyone else before they even go to the Lord. Everyone, Yes, it's good to ask to pray for your situation, but we need to go primarily to the Lord. So often it's, it's everyone else we go to. And even those type of situations can become complaining and grumbling about our circumstances. But here, the psalmist cries out to the Lord. And you might notice it says, O Lord, in large caps, L-O-R-D, large caps. In the front of your Bibles, the translators have given you a note to help you understand how they've translated the Hebrew in the Old Testament. So in the L-O-R-D in large caps speaks of Yahweh. It means the I am, the self-existent one. It is the first uh, person singular of the verb to be. It speaks of I am. That's what Yahweh means. Now Yahweh was mistransliterated by adding vowel points into Jehovah. Nothing wrong with saying Jehovah, but it really is Yahweh in Hebrew. But the Lord knows and so here we have this term, uh, O Lord, Yahweh. But what does that mean? It speaks of God himself, the self-existent one. You remember when Moses is talking to the Lord and he's saying, hey, well, what should I tell the Israelites your name is? Who should I say you are when I go to them? Exodus 3.13, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they might say to me, What is his name? That's a good question. And what shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, Yahweh, Asher, Yahweh, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you, or the Lord 
has sent you, the self-existent one. There is no one who is self-existent. Only God is self-existent. So when you see the term Lord, that speaks of deity. It speaks of God. It speaks of God. He is. And you'll remember when God took on human flesh, Jesus Christ, he came and he was before the Jews and they were trying to, to they were, they had not received his word and they were, they were trying to uh, get out of, uh, their, their responsibility to what he had been sharing to them. And in John 8, 56, Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And they knew exactly what Jesus was saying because therefore they picked up stones to throw at him because he, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. You see, we cry out to the Lord. We cry out to the I am Lord. Out of the depths I've cried to you. I've been crying to you over and over and over again. It's good to share with the Lord what's going on. It's good to share with him your heart. It's good to share with him. And so then we call him, we call upon him, and he is near. Uh, Paul tells the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. You see, in that moment, we need to recognize the only one we can call to is the Lord that will help us. The Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. When you're going through trouble, the Lord needs to be who you call. You need to go to him and over and over again. And the psalmist is reminding the Lord, not that the Lord needs to be reminded, but he's, the psalmist is sharing his heart, which we should in a relationship with the living God. He wants us to. The prayer of the upright are, is his delight. That's his delight. So he says, out of the depths, I have cried to thee, O Lord. You see, he recognizes and he has to humble himself. We've got to humble ourselves. Our only solution is the Lord. So many times we try to get together all the things we've got to do to get ourselves out of this mess or whatever it is. We spend all our time focused on all that stuff and we need to focus on the Lord. It's the Lord. The Lord alone. That's where our help comes from. Psalm 121, a psalm of ascent. Same type of psalm. I will lift my eyes to the mountains. From what's my help come from? He's basically saying, hey, I look this way at the mountains. Does my help come from the mountains? No, it doesn't. That's where the pagans go. My help comes from the Lord. He says here, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where my help comes. The creator of the universe. The creator of the universe. I'm going to look to him. That's where it comes from. We know that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Second Chronicles, or actually First Chronicles 16.9. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, when the uh, bad guys were coming upon the Israelites, Jehoshaphat, what did Jehoshaphat do? Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord. That's what we got to do. Difficult things have happened. Seek the Lord. Turn to him. That's who you got to go to. And if you're a believer, I believe you're going to do that. And if you don't, you're going to learn to do that. You're going to learn. So then we look to, he looked to the hills. Where's our help coming? From the Lord. Psalm 146, verse 5. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, 
his God. And one of our problems is our hope is in the reconciliation of our circumstances or whatever it might be, our hope is not in the Lord at times. Yes, we can pray for what we think is right and what would be the best, and we put that before the Lord, there's nothing wrong with that. But our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. So often we miss this point, and it's right clear for us, cry out to the Lord. And sometimes you've got to cry for a while. Out of the depths, I've been crying to you, O Lord. And we learn from that. Sometimes the answers don't come right away. So we're going to see later on. We need to wait for the Lord. And the Lord is good to those who wait upon him. So notice back in our passage, Psalm 130, we have a parallel statement. Now he comes out and says, Lord, hear my voice. Lord, hear my voice. And notice it's L-O-R-D in lowercase. L and then big L, but O-R-D in lowercase. That is the word in Hebrew, Adonai. That means master. It could be applied to a human master or the Lord as the master. So he's saying, God, the great I am, help me out of the depths I cry to you. And then, oh, master, master, let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Listen to my supplications. This is not someone crying out and demanding God to help. There is humility here. Yes, he's crying out, but he's not demanding. There's humility. Listen, Lord, it's in, it's in, it's in a, it's in the context of humility. Hear my voice. Lord, my master. You're my master. I'm not in charge. That's one of our problems too. When you're going through difficulties, we think we're in charge. And so guess what? God lets you stay in charge and guess what happens? It doesn't work out very well. When the Lord is in charge, then he takes control because we yield that over to him. My master. Hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. The reality is, as the Lord does, his ears are attentive, by the way. We know that. His face is against those who do evil, but his ears are attentive to the prayer of the righteous. The righteous are those who are righteous because of faith in Jesus, not because of their actions, but their actions will start to change as they grow in Jesus. His ears are attentive. And by faith, we know he's listening. And by faith, when we call out, we know that he hears, even though we crowd in our emotions. Lord, listen to me, please. This is a real person going through real difficulties, real difficulties. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Please listen. You know, instead of going to all of the other stuff you go to when things go bad, you've probably got some pretty good habits you've developed over your life. As believers, we need to have the habit of going to Christ. Lord, help me. This is, things are falling apart. I need you. Help me, Lord God. Listen to my, my prayer. May your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. That's, that's a humble request. It's not a demand. It's not a demand. So then, if you know Christ, we can boldly come before his throne. Hebrews chapter 4. And we will find, we will find, receive grace and find mercy, or find mercy, receive grace in time of need. In time of need. So then, there are some situations where we recognize we're not in control, we as human beings, where we're incapable of managing, helping, manipulating, or delivering, whatever it's a natural disaster, or an illness, or an accident. 
And these are situations where God shows us how helpless we really are in every situation. And so what do you do when these things happen? What are your prayers like? You see, we need to humbly cry out to the Lord. He alone can help. He alone can help. That's where we start. That's where we start. There's so many. And by the way, I'm not going to read them all, but I've got a whole list of verses here in the Psalms of crying out to the Lord. You'll see it throughout. Of the psalmists crying out, Lord, help me. Help me in these areas. Help me, Lord God. Throughout. Cry out to him. Let me share a couple here. Psalm 5, uh, verse 1. Psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help. Psalm 2. Help, O Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. Uh, Psalm 13, 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried to the to my God for help. Psalm 22, uh, 24 in the end. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. Psalm 30, verse 2. O Lord, my God, I cried to thee for help and thou didst heal me. He goes on later to say, weeping only lasts for the night, but the shadow of joy comes in the morning. The Lord is the only one who can help, no matter how difficult it is. Seek the Lord. Now, I need to warn anybody here who may not know Christ yet uh, to not misunderstand this passage. This passage is not saying you can live your life any way you want and just do your own thing and all of a sudden cry out and God will deliver you from your trouble. The reality is the only thing God will deliver you from is when you humble yourself and believe in his son Jesus for salvation. That's the only guaranteed deliverance. But some may be ignoring God's truth, hardened to it, and when that day of distress and calamity comes, in a sense, God's not going to listen unless it's for salvation. We see this exemplified in in Proverbs chapter 1. He says, because I called, this is wisdom personified, and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected my counsel. You did not want my reproof. You didn't want God to reprove you. So he says here in the word, I will even laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes in the whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me. I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned my reproof. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. Are you in trouble? Cry out. If you don't know the Lord, cry out for salvation because that's your biggest trouble right now. It's your biggest trouble. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Very important. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Now another important thing back in our passage, Psalm 130, is when we call upon him, we need to recognize something about ourselves as we call upon him and about him. This is so important because this is so often missed in our relationship with the Lord. It should be part of it, threaded in all the time. Look at verse 3. The psalmist says, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. The psalmist continues his prayer. He's praying. He's confessing, in a sense, recognizing his own sinfulness and God's right to judge, but yet God's forgiveness. 
You see, we got to realize, I'm a, I'm a wretch. I've failed. I've sinned, Lord God. If you were to keep a running list and hold me to it, who could stand? Now, we're going to see later on for the non-believer, he does keep a running list. But for the believer, there's forgiveness. Praise the Lord for that. Now, our text literally leads in Hebrew, it's, it's emphatic, iniquities. Thou should it mark, if you should mark it, who could stand? Who could stand? So with this emphasis on iniquities, what does that mean? The, the Hebrew word means to bend or twist or deviate, to pervert, to be crooked. Now, in the, it gives us a descriptive picture of sin, by the way. Look at Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Tremendous reality. You see, the reality is, iniquity speaks of our personal sinful actions. You see, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, and, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, sin separates us from God. When the Lord God was speaking to his covenant people, many of them who were hardened and in unbelief, he would speak to those in unbelief. He said in Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he can't save, neither that it can't save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear. The reality is sin is in the way. But God's a gracious God. And just remember, if you've got sin in your life as a believer even, God's not going to listen to your prayer. He hears it, but he's not going to listen in the, in the, in the sense of agreeing with you and, and coming to your aid, by the way. David said in Psalm 66, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear. Hey, if I'm keeping sin that I don't want to confess, I don't want to confess, the Lord doesn't hear. First Peter chapter 3, to husbands, uh, if you don't uh, obey the Lord in terms of the word of God, granting honor as a fellow grace, heir of the grace of life, living in an understanding way according to wisdom, biblical wisdom, then your prayers are hindered. Your relationship with God is hindered. Sin gets in the way. For the non-believer, sin separates us from God, those who were. We're all non-believers first, but for the believer, for us, we are... Uh, reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ by his blood. And yet sin can get in the way in our everyday actions and our fellowship. So if you have to confess sin, God chooses not to listen in the sense of agreeing with you and wanting to hear. So we need to confess sin. When we come to God, Lord, hear my voice. There needs to be humility also in analyzing our lives. Lord, if you were to mark my iniquities, who could stand? Who could stand? <clears throat> the term shouldest mark, shamar, means to keep. If God was to keep or mark and keep a record of all my sin, now no one's without sin, right? No one could stand before God. Now we're going to see that he does keep a record, but for believers that is washed and cleansed and forgiven. That's the wonderful thing. Who could stand? He's humbling himself before the Lord. Lord, I'm such a sinful man. Who could stand? But then he says this wonderful thing, there's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. So you say, oh great, God doesn't keep a record. Well, he does for the non-believer, by the way. 
And just for the believer that those things have been nailed to the cross. In uh, Mark chapter um, 12, or Matthew chapter 12, turn to Matthew chapter 12. You see, because if you don't come to Christ, he is keeping a list of your sins, every single one, because he's a holy God and he's a righteous God. And he is marking every single one. And that pile is building up high. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Now Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they look good on the outside, but they're rotten, and Jesus knows it. And so he's kind of saying, saying sarcastically this first statement. You'll understand, I believe, when I read it. Either make Mark, or Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. He's saying, hey, reveal who you really are, Pharisees. Right? That's what he's saying. Um, you brood of vipers, or it says, for a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For out of the mouth comes that which fills the heart. The good man out of the good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, by your words you shall be condemned. Every careless word, even down to the ones you didn't even think about off the side of your breath. He does mark iniquities. He does. And if you don't have your sins forgiven in Jesus Christ, then he will hold you to account for your sin. And you will pay for that. You see, God clearly identifies what happens to a non-believer when he dies and what happens in those circumstances. In Revelation chapter 20, there's a great white throne where uh, those who have rejected Christ are judged for their deeds. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. The reality is, our names are in the book of life if we have trusted in Jesus Christ. We see that. We see those who overcome are those who believe in Jesus Christ, and those who overcome are those who are written in the book of life. Believers in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus? If not, you are wicked and you will not stand in the judgment. It's piling up. But God is gracious. He beckons you in the context of love, not judgment. Judgment comes if you, if you don't accept his love. He beckons you in the context of love to believe in him, God who took on human flesh and died for your sins and rose from the dead. If you believe in him, knowing you need a Savior, you've got to believe for the right thing, that he's God and he died for your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Call upon him. You will be saved. You'll be saved. You'll be saved. And then you could say, like the psalmist says, Oh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But notice what he says afterwards. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. So we need to recognize the fact that we are sinful in our coming to him and our difficulties, but recognize there's forgiveness. Lord, you've forgiven me from so much. Thank you so much. There's forgiveness with thee. What a wonderful contrast he marks iniquities, but there's forgiveness. Glorious contrast. Our God is so great. There is forgiveness. 
There's forgiveness with the Lord Jesus. You can be forgiven today. All your sins forgiven. Matthew 26, 28, For this is the blood of the covenant, Jesus says, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Luke chapter 24, 46, Jesus shares this after he had risen from the dead. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed throughout the earth. Repentance, metanoia, means a change of mind. And if I really change my mind, I'm going to do something about it. There's going to be an action involved. I turn to God because I realize I'm a sinner and I'm in big trouble. And I believe in Jesus Christ. And I ask for forgiveness for my sins. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, speaking of Christ, we have redemption. That's the payment of the price for our sins. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. 2 Corinthians 5.17, He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, to be sin on our behalf. He took our sins in his body on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Tremendous, wonderful reality. In uh, Peter sharing with the first Gentile converts to be converts in Acts chapter 10, as he summarizes um, uh, his, his declaration concerning Jesus, he says uh, that God is the judge, that, that one man's been appointed the, the, by God as the judge of the living and the dead. Speaking of Jesus, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Psalm 32, verse 1, David writes, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Wow. It's so wonderful. We are the most blessed. That's why we come and sing praises to him, because he's forgiven us our sins. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. We sing to him, right? Tremendous. But there's forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Hey, you're a holy God. You mark every sin. Everyone's accountable. But there's forgiveness. And notice he says why there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. Look in our passage that thou mayest be feared. You go, wait a second. There's forgiveness that I'm going to be afraid of God? That doesn't make sense. Well, the term fear can be used in different ways. It's the same with the term. It can be translated, this word yare in the Old Testament, it can be translated afraid. Or it could be translated fear and such as a, as a holy reverence in a sense. And there's one passage that helps me with this, and I've mentioned it, and you don't need to turn here, but I'll read it for you, and it's easy to remember. Exodus 20, 20. And so all this stuff is happening, and the Israelites are all fearful. They're, they're shaking in their boots, and they're telling Moses, don't, we don't want to speak to God. You speak to him for us. And Moses says to them, to the people, do not yare. Be afraid, okay? For God has come in order to test you, in order that the yare, the fear of him, may remain on you, that you may not sin. That helps me understand. You see, with unbelievers, there's no fear of God before their eyes, so they sit it up. I sit it up, there's no consequence, I don't fear God, no big deal. But when we come to Christ, we fear him. We're not afraid of him, we fear him. See, there's forgiveness that he would be properly feared. He would be revered for who he really is. We didn't revere God as God. We didn't revere Christ for who he was and what he did for us and who he is. But forgiveness 
brings about a right reconciled relationship in which we now fear God. There's forgiveness. And the psalmist says that, hey, there's forgiveness that thou mayest be feared. You see, forgiveness should cause us to fear the Lord. It should cause us to reverence him, to be conscious of him in our actions. This fear is not a fear of punishment, because perfect love casts that fear. It is a fear of bringing displeasure upon him and grief, or whatever it might be, even of his discipline, because we know he spanks his children, right? So we recognize our sinfulness in God's right to judge and his great forgiveness in Christ, and that should draw us near to him. You see, we don't just cry out, Lord God, save me from this mess. We've got to have our hearts right. Yes, Lord God, I'm in deep trouble. Please hear my voice. Lord, you are a God who has forgiven me my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, Lord God. You have a consciousness in your prayer of what God has done for you. It changes your demeanor and your attitude towards him. And we need to continue to remember these things. You see, we're to fear the Lord, and, and the scriptures are clear and full of passages about fearing the Lord. We're to work out our salvation with phobos and traumas, fear and trembling. We should get to the point where, we, where, we, where it's a trauma to us to sin against God. And when we blow it, we're traumatized in a sense, and we want to go to him right away and get forgiven. Fear and trembling. First Peter chapter 1 the Lord says that if, uh, through Peter, and if you address the Father as one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your stay upon the earth. And here's why. Knowing the great price that was paid to deliver you from your sins. That's why I should be acting differently. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. You see, forgiveness and the price paid to bring my forgiveness and the love brought forth brings me to see God rightly, to fear him, to fear him. And if I'm not thinking about forgiveness, I bet you're not thinking, you're not fearing God, I'll tell you that right now. If you're not thinking about it, about what he's done. So then, our salvation and the forgiveness of sins should cause us to walk in the context of a right reverence of the Lord. Sadly, non-believers, there's no fear of God before their eyes, but... If you turn to him and trust in him and believe in him, he'll change your heart. And that forgiveness will cause you to see God differently and you'll reverence him and fear him. So then, what are we to do when we're in despair as believers? Cry out humbly to the Lord. Keep crying out to him. But cry out in the context of remembering the forgiveness of sins and what he has done in Christ. You see, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions. And if he would not spare his own son for us, fear him, fear the Lord. So then, start with the cry to the Lord of all, the God of the the universe, our creator and our redeemer and our savior, and acknowledge in his, his holiness and his right to judge, but yet our forgiveness in Christ. And then everything should be right, right? Well, not always. You see, we live in a fast food drive-through society, and and if the drive-through is is taken long, we're we're upset. You know, we we're, we're impatient with the microwave. We want things done, but the reality is, for believers, we need to learn, and we should be those who wait. On the Lord, because when you wait, he, he does end up acting. I mean, he's perfectly faithful in everything. 
He will never let you down, but there's often times there's a waiting on him. It doesn't mean we're not coming before him. It doesn't mean we're not sharing out of the depths or crying to you. So look back at our passage. He says in verse 5 on Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. This is so important. I'm waiting on the Lord, but the context of that waiting is hoping on what he has said. I'm not hoping in the resolution. I'm hoping in him to be faithful to what he said, which will take care of everything the right way. I'm thinking about his truth, and I'm believing what he said. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. My soul to the Lord. My soul, my inner being to the Lord. That's what's, that's what's going on here. Lord, you know it. So what's interesting is he's been... He's been praying, and now he starts to declare something. He says, Lord, 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 and now he's saying, hey, I'm showing you what I do. My soul to the Lord. And it's in a a stem in the Hebrew, PL perfect, which speaks of intensity and a completed, settled state. I'm waiting, and I'm still waiting. I've been waiting, and I'm waiting. You see, we as believers, we need to wait on the Lord. You know, we have a problem waiting at times, but God is good to those who wait. Let me share some verses. Psalm 25, Psalm of David. To thee, O Lord, I lift my soul. Now read about David's life. You'll see he had a lot of time to wait and different things that were, that were hard. And the Psalms are great because you see where David's heart is. You look through the historical narratives, those true stories of David, and you go, okay, this is what happened. This is not so good. You look at the Psalms, and a lot of them line up with that. You see, there's where his heart was at during these times. A Psalm of David, to thee, O Lord, I will I lift up my soul. This is Psalm 25. O my God, in thee I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. Perfect confidence that that's that you wait for the Lord, you're not going to be ashamed. We should know that. We should understand that. You got any trouble? Wait for the Lord. It's because of yourself. Confess it. Endure the consequences of what you have sown. You're going to reap. But God will, you'll soon sow the Spirit. You'll reap from the Spirit. Psalm 27, or actually that same psalm, he goes down. Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. That's what we should be saying in our difficulties. Lord, help me see it your way. Teach me your way through this. Your paths. Help me respond to this rightly, the way you would do it, the way your son would. He says here, teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Psalm 27, 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 27, 13, Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. What about Psalm 37? This is a wonderful passage. Turn to Psalm 37. You want to see this. So it says, wait for the Lord, not complain and grumble to everyone at church, right? Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Be faithful. Do do what you need to do in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as noonday. Verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. 
Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, for it only leads to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. So many passages. Psalm 1974, may those who fear thee see me and be glad because I wait for your word. You see, we wait for the Lord, but we also put our hope in him through what he says. Now, see, when I hope in his word, it sounds like I'm just hoping in the Bible verse. That's not what he's saying. I'm hoping in the Lord, believing what he's saying. My hope is in the absolute confidence that what he has said, he's going to do, and I'm waiting on him to do it. My hope is in what he has said, not in what I want to bring forth. He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. Going through difficulty, you've got to anchor yourself on God's promises. Rightly understood. God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm Surely I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. You can know that for sure, that you can do that, and you wait on him. The Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in to it and are safe. You've got to be in the word of God and hoping in what he said. And he'll deliver you through this dark difficulty. Wait on the Lord. He's good. He's good. Well, notice in our passage, not only is he waiting, he gives a personal illustration of how he's waiting, how much he is. Verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. This is a, just a personal illustration. This is how much I'm waiting on the Lord. More than the guy that works the midnight shift on the, on the temple walls or the, or the gates of the city out there. More than that person who's up all night waiting to, for the morning to come so he can go to bed and get off his job. My soul to the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman to the morning. Indeed, this is the intensity of the waiting for him. I'm waiting, Lord. You have promised that you would do this. I'm waiting on your promise to be fulfilled. I trust you. I believe you. Now, now don't take his promises and twist them and apply it wrongly and wait on those. That's not what I'm saying. Take his word rightly. Believe what he said and wait on him. Wait on him. So then what we got to do when we're in trouble, brothers and sisters, is cry out to the Lord. Cry out to him. And we need to acknowledge the reality in that cry of a humility crying out to him, sharing our difficulties with him, but also the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Then we got to wait. Wait on the Lord, but hope in what he has said. It's absolutely true. And then notice the result here after this uh, psalmist shares what's going on. I love the psalms because what God does is he shows us the start to finish. He shows us the difficulty the person's in, and he shows the resolution later on. Notice what he says here in verse 7. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him there is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is pretty interesting. I don't read anything about depths anymore. Out of the depths, Lord, I'm in deep, dire difficulty. I don't see that at all. He has come full circle. He's no longer focused on his difficulty. He's focused on the God who brings redemption. You see, if you're trusting the Lord and you're hoping in him, you're waiting on him, then you're going to be focused on him. And you're going to want to share 
him to others. Notice he's proclaiming this. Oh, Israel, now everybody, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. And here's why. Four. You could say because. Four. Take two aspirins for a headache. Or because of a headache. Four. Hope in the Lord. Four. Notice what he says. With the Lord there is loving kindness. That's chesed. You know what that is? That's God's loyal, covenant-keeping love, and it is almost always connected with the forgiveness of sins brought about through the Savior, Jesus Christ, who would come and die for us. It's loyal love. He loves you with a loyal love. Hope in him. Hope in him. His love has been poured out in sending his son Jesus to die for us. Hope in him. O Israel, hope in the Lord because... He is a faithful, loving God, and he keeps his word, and he brings about forgiveness. And notice what he says here, and with him is abundant redemption. This is great. The term abundant means overflowing. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord because of his loving kindness and abundant redemption. The term redemption speaks of a ransom here. The basic meaning means to achieve a transfer of ownership from one to another through the payment of a price of an equivalent substitute. Now, in Scripture, we see almost consistently in the Psalms people being ransomed from difficult circumstances. Often, Yahweh redeems or delivers one from danger. Exclusively in the Old Testament, we see it speak of human situations. But here, it is an anomaly because it speaks of redemption in context from sin. Hope in the Lord because in the context of his loyal love, he is the one who abundantly redeems. You see, God paid the price for sin. God requires death. And he sent his son Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb. All those sacrifices were pictures to point to the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he died for us. He took our sins in his body. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he paid the full price God requires for sin. Therefore, when we trust in Jesus, that price is applied to us. And we are forgiven of our sins. So then, he says there's abundant redemption. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Israel was not following the Lord very much. You look at the Old Testament, only a remnant, by the way. Many of them did not believe. And he's saying, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with him there is loving kindness and abundant redemption. So many passages talk about uh, the redemption that is uh, in Christ Jesus. God is so gracious. We know that we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold. First Peter, I read that passage earlier, but with the precious blood. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, By his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, 7, In him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption. That's the payment of the price, which brings about the forgiveness through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1:13, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. Hope in the Lord, because with him there is loving kindness, loyal love that brings salvation by sending his own son, and abundant redemption, the price paid. Hope in the Lord. You see, when that's your attitude, you know you've made it through that trial that God has brought you through. You see? And the psalmist is a good example of where our hearts should be when we hope 
in the Lord and trust in him. So then, is the psalmist in the depths anymore? Nope. He's telling others to hope in the Lord. To hope in the Lord. How do we get out of the depths of despair? Are you in the depths? Be honest, cry out to the Lord, but humbly. Accept his forgiveness through Jesus if you haven't already. Look back and acknowledge his forgiveness if you have. That that leads you to fear him and see him rightly. Wait on him, hoping in his word to be fulfilled as he's promised. And then you'll find yourself proclaiming his excellencies. You see, Peter said that we were, uh, were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you get it? Well, some of you may be in difficulties, and today we've seen what we're to do if we're believers. And some of you may not have come to the faith in Jesus Christ yet, and you're in a big, difficult trial right now. You're in an eternal struggle. It's life and death, eternal life and death. And Jesus beckons you to, forg- to forgiveness that he brings through trusting in him. Trust in him. And then for us, the psalmist example is a great example for us. It's an example of faith. It's an example of trust. It's an example of the Lord delivering. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. You are so good. And I thank you for this example of your psalmist who shared his genuine faith and trust in you in the midst of great difficulties. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's not saved that they would cry out to you to be delivered from their sin. They'd be redeemed. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, uh, may we not forget what we've heard. Lord, there's so many difficult situations that blindside us. May we go to you. May we trust in you. May we acknowledge your forgiveness that we would see you rightly. May we wait upon you and then may we proclaim your excellencies because of what you've done for us in Christ. We thank you in his precious name. Amen.